In a disrupted world, many organizations have been forced into hybrid working. Today, we explore how to successfully lead an organization in this environment with guest Ellie Hill. Ellie is the CEO of Pragmatic Thinking and co-author of Work From Anywhere. Having helped numerous organizations successfully navigate hybrid working, Ellie shares her top insights, defining really what hybrid working is, debunking a few of the common misconceptions and giving practical tips that you can use today to more effectively lead yourself, your team and your organization. Welcome along to the podcast. Thanks so much for joining us on the show today. Uh, Great to be connecting with you, Ryan. Now, Ellie, we're going to talk all things hybrid working today. Uh, Very, very popular topic. Uh, Our world has changed somewhat and lots of teams were forced to hybrid working. Some are looking to maintain it. Some are reverting back. Uh, We're going to dig into a few of those things today. But how about we start off with a few fast facts, learn a little bit about Ellie the person. So on holiday, would we find you bungee jumping or on the pool lounger with a cocktail? Oh, can you do both? You can. <laughs> can that is, that is definitely a viable answer. <laughs> so, um, yes, I love the sense of adventure. Um, I'm a big one for, for exploring. I love exploring new places. Um, and yet I also, uh, I think by nature of kind of the work, the the kind of work that I know y- you do as well, is that you're constantly um, thinking your, your brain is switched on. So it can be incredibly valuable for me to have downtime. So I'm going to go for the combination of both. I like that. And is that, uh, you know, psychologist training says it's okay for you to have downtime and I'm actually self-prescribing some cocktails and lounger time? Yes. Yeah. I love it. Absolutely. Okay. Style-wise, are we likely to find you in trainers or heels? Trainers. 100%. Sneakers. Boom. Love it. (laughs) Good old. And uh, you are are an author. You've uh, recently co-written a book, uh, Work From Anywhere. Um, we can dig into whether Darren uh, actually made much of a contribution to the book or whether he just kind of <laughs> wanted to get his name on the front. Um, but uh, when you're reading yourself, are you a real book person or are you a Kindle person? Uh, real book, 100%. I have a fast line to Booktopia. Um, and so my bookshelves are uh, swelling with, uh, with physical books. I have read one book uh, which I read through Apple Books and I actually read it on my phone um, and read it in two days so it was a like incredibly rare for me to read anything on a device uh, but let alone to read it on my phone Um, it was a captivating book (laughs) but it's very rare. Sounds good and in your physical books are there scribbles in the margin are there dog dog ears on the corners or are they pristine and beautiful? Uh, no, dog ears on the corners. There is there is line markings. Um, when I have a pen handy, uh, there is notes. Yes, they, they very much come to life for sure. Fab. Now the animals question, cats or dogs? Dogs. Boom. Yeah, you know, we can continue. I've had Was to that oust- too quick? <laughs> uh, no, look, I've had to oust the odd guest because I've said cats. You know, it's a really short interview when we do that yeah, one. Good. So We're going to get along. <laughs> Famous. Uh, Routine-wise, are you an early riser or are you a night owl? Very much an early riser. My day is better when I get up and uh, I have been known to say that uh, there's not a single sunrise that I haven't regretted uh, seeing. So I was up this morning, I saw the sunrise over the ocean. Um, So I'm here on the Gold Coast, so see it come up over the ocean. It was stunning, but they are stunning 
every time I see them. Yeah, yeah, fabulous way to uh, start the day. Love it. And if you were watching a movie, would we find you watching a thriller or a comedy? Comedy. I um, I'm the older I get, my tolerance for high heart rate and particularly thriller uh, has actually gone down. So I there are movies now where I will see the trailers of. Um, I think it was It, the rerun of It came out, and I saw right. the trailer and I went, uh, I just do not need that in my world. My imagination is good enough. Give me a comedy every day of the week. Love it. Yeah, uh, I saw some terrible statistic. Uh, in the last couple of days was that children laugh something like 200 times a day and adults can reduce to as little as four times a day. So uh, maybe we all need a few more comedies in our life. There is something in that. Yes, yeah. yep, absolutely. Yeah, we need to get back to some more, more fun. Alrighty, let's talk hybrid working. Maybe if we uh, kick off by way of de- definition, what would you say is hybrid working? Look, you mentioned before our world has changed, but one of the big things that's changed is our language. Uh, things like exposure sites and <laughs> um, and uh, vaccines and those sorts of like we're, we're changing our language in workplaces. One of the biggest changes is this use of the word hybrid. Uh, it really wasn't kind of part of the way we would think about how work is done. Um, and yet it is incredibly and increasingly uh, organisations are realising that we are shifting to, if we haven't already, um, but in terms of the future of work of, of a much more kind of hybrid model. So what does hybrid mean? And it's a great question to ask for what that definition is, because I think if we don't start there, we can be talking about very different things. Um, and so really the crux of it is a hybrid is a combination of um, of locations. It's not prescriptive uh, and it's very much an invitation to a conversation about let's talk about how work can be done. So I think about it in like almost like a continuum. So if you think about one up one end of the continuum, 100% of the teams and 100% of the work is done in a co-located space. So traditionally we would call that the office. Um, Even if people were traveling or going out for meetings, you would come back to a headquarters, so to speak. So if that's up one end of the continuum, down the other end of the continuum can be where work is done 100% distributed. So you are not physically going to any location. There's not a head. There's not even a headquarters. A hundred percent of the work is done in a distributed fashion. Now teams can still gather and get together, but they're not necessarily coming to a business's branded office space. That might be a more neutral space that they're getting together. So hybrid sits in between those two continuums. Uh, So for some teams, they will be maybe mostly distributed, but still have an office that they go to. Uh, There'll be other teams in this conversation when we talk about hybrid where they are mostly at work, uh, but maybe a day a week, there's the option to work elsewhere. So so there's a huge amount of flexibility. There's a huge amount of, um, I guess, opportunity and invitation to what does hybrid mean to me personally in a role? What does it mean to our team? And as an organisation, how are we going to define how we do hybrid? 
So I guess what underlies that conversation is performance uh, to a degree or yeah, to, to a significant amount. And that's the individual's performance. So how well can I perform individually regardless of where or how I'm working? How does it affect our team? And then as an organization, how do we how do we do it? So I'm really keen to get some of your insights because you've got deep knowledge in this. You've talked to a lot of organizations, you've done your research, you've spent a lot of time thinking about it. Um, but maybe as a headline, could you give us maybe your top three insights in that in that zone? And then we'll dig into some detail around those. Yeah, look, I mean, there's a huge piece of the conversation and there's a lot more to be added. When you ask me about three top insights, the number one um, that comes to mind and it, you've kind of touched on a little bit, but is for leaders and organizations to have a framework around how we do hybrid and I don't mind what that framework is or how it relates to you and your organization but the reason why I say it's so critical to have a framework is that becomes the touchstone to have to come back to to orientate back to in amongst the flexibility because what we're saying is that there are now more options but with options comes sub subjectivity can come a sense of entitlement, can come a sense of um, uncertainty and unfairness, which is where these conversations can get derailed. So starting with a framework, and that's what we did with our team, and I'm happy to talk a little bit about the framework we talk about in the book later on, um, but that actually becomes that kind of key touchstone. So my number one would be to have a framework. Number two would be to invest in the conversations. So again, don't take assumptions, don't, um, don't assume what used to work. If we were co-located in an office, now just happens uh, and transplanted in a different space that we can have exactly the same meetings, the exactly same process, we just do it on Zoom. It requires very, very different skills. There are different conversations to have. And the truth is that we are now being invited into people's worlds in a much more close, closer way. We're seeing their families, we're, we're inside their homes, um, and we're all navigating this sense of uncertainty um, and economic kind of impact, government mandated directions in a way that we've never done before. And so number two would be to invest in the conversations. And number three would be great teams. So, so when we talk about hybrid, and you talked before about performance, the goal is high performance. So how can we get high performance in this new modality of working? Otherwise it doesn't work, right? And we go back to what we've always known around high performance. The research that we've looked into is that we know that high performing teams continually talk about their identity. Who are we? How are we adding value? When we're operating at our best, what does that look like? And when we're not operating at our best, what does that look like? So my three tips would be to have a framework, invest in the conversations and continually talk about your identity. Great. Hey, looking forward to exploring the, those further. Um, maybe uh, let's go uh, number three first. Um, I'm interested when you were looking to research the book and you were looking at these different modalities, when you think about high performance, what is some of the criteria that either you particularly used or that uh, leaders and organizations could think about how they uh, establish what high performance is and whether they're reaching those high performance goals and, oh. and metrics? 
That's such a great question. And again, I, um, I'm kind of loath to say that there's, there's one thing and you've just got it. It's all about revenue or it's all about, <laughs> you know, it's all about uh, customer needs. It's all about the employee experience because all of the above are really important. So part of it is dependent on the life cycle of the organization. Part of it's dependent on what the strategic goals of, uh, of the organization. Um, and so that metric around what does kind of performance look like um, at its very nuts and bolts without kind of putting metrics around it, if I would come back to that I'm really clear on the value that I bring to my team and then to the, to the wider organisation so that there is a line of sight between activity and outcome or strategic goal. Now, some organisations that strategic goal, as I said before, will be growth, it'll be revenue for others. It's actually about impact. Uh, for some organisations, and I was only talking to uh, a great customer of ours yesterday, that one of their measures of performance is well-being, and they are rolling that out across their organisation, is that we are now measuring leaders and individuals on their investment in their physical, emotional and mental health. And so, so in terms of what they are, again, it's, it can be anything but the importance and where I've seen the biggest impact is that we are clear and expectations and, and alongside expectations that we are clear on the standard. Um, so what, what kind of standard are we looking at? So the expectation might be that we call our customers back within four hours of them putting in inquiry, just for example. But then a standard might be, then what's the quality of that call? Um, how much are we engaging? What's, is, what's the level of connection that we're having? So expectations and standards are incredibly clear. Mm. And it's such a challenge for us in the business world, isn't it? That the things that are most value to measure are always the things that are hardest to measure. So, you know, how many phone calls did we make and did we make them within four hours? Pretty easy metrics. We can probably automate the gathering of most of that, mm -hmm. that data. Um, easy for us to get into a report. The quality of the call, uh, how much energy did you bring to it? Um, what was the, the vibe like on the call? We all know when we've had a call that's got horrible vibe or really great vibe, but then how we, how we measure that can be a real challenge. What have, you, what have you come across in your work with organizations when they're uh, maybe tasked with identifying some of those performance traits that are less easy to measure? How, how are they trying to um, gather that info and, in fact, see whether their teams are delivering on that? Yeah, look, I think um, I'm going to sidetrack for a little bit and then I'll come back to your question. I think one of the biggest questions around shifting to a hybrid team, certainly with leaders, can be that fear of, and certainly it was, if you think, right in the crux of March of 2020, March and April, where leaders were going, but how do I know if my team are working? What if they're not? What if they're watching Netflix in between meetings? This fear, this concern, whereas if they're in the office, I can see them. Um, and rightly or wrongly, so really great leaders who care about their people. Again, it's a really natural kind of human fear. But also as leaders, we're measured on our team's performance. And so it also falls back on, on us as leaders. And so... In terms of if there are, is anyone listening who goes, yes, that's like, how do you know? <laughs> how do you, um, what if people aren't kind of performing or what if they're, you know, 
<clears throat> they're getting paid for 7.6 hours and, and only working three. This is where that conversation around expectations, uh, deliverables, what am I looking for? And also a conversation around perception of performance. Um, and so it's that's also an old metric if we think about but people are doing if they're not working the full time then they're not performing because uh, that's assuming that time in seat equals productivity and the Ellie, let, let me, can I can I jump yeah. in here because I look I, I'm uh, kind of chuckling away in the background <laughs> here uh, I think there's just a very poorly held perception that because someone is sitting at a desk in the office that they are 100% productive. Mm -hmm. um, firstly, as humans, we can't be productive 100% of the time, you know, and uh, secondly, if someone's inclined to be less focused, less on task and wants to waste a bit of time, they'll find a way to do that whether it's sitting at an office or, or at home, right? And I was at a uh, presentation by Seek, the job site, and they were sharing their uh, traffic stats for when they get the most the most traffic on their site. And they get the most traffic on their site uh, between about 10 and 11.30 during the day, right? So, you know, and this was pre-COVID. So this was when people were predominantly working in, in offices. And it just always makes me laugh that people think just because someone's in an office, they're going to be <laughs> going to be highly productive, right? Hey, actually, people are sitting at their desk looking for their next job because yeah. the things you're providing for them in the current environment is not what they're after. So maybe take a different look. Yes, yeah. So, um, and I think in some ways it's a bit of an, it is a bit of an old story, but it is worth kind of talking about that this, this belief that the office was better, other people were more productive, that maybe the office was broken anyway. Um, and that was certainly something we were challenged with for our team because we were very staunchly a high culture, high touch, want people to come together, want people to gather prior to COVID and uh, practically it was very, very easy for our team to go and work from home um, and have that operationally happening very, very quickly within, you know, half a day, like a sure. lot of teams. Um, and yet we really struggled with this sense of we sell and work with organisations around culture. We want to invest in our own culture this is a challenge for us. So it's going to be a challenge for other teams as well. And we needed to shift that belief that maybe hybrid way of working allows for greater productivity. It allows for greater level of engagement that no longer people are filling a seat because I've got the hours and I need to be seen to be tapping away at a computer that actually now I can have a greater level of autonomy about my own energy where you asked me before about morning or night owl, uh, that, that there can be a greater choice around that, that now I can do some yoga stretches in between phone calls on the floor that I would never have done in the office, <laughs> but it helps me to then re-energize and be focused for the next phone call or for the next meeting. Um, and so that investment in, uh, that product well, productivity but a level of autonomy and engagement that possibly that could even be higher um, if we were to look at greater flexibility so what helps to build trust if we go back to you know leaders how do I know how can I trust that people are working that they're using their time well what what creates trust in a hybrid work or remote working is delivery of work productivity when people are getting the job done we go great he's working 
this is this is what the role requires this is what we need from them we're really clear on expectations we have the opportunity to kind of check in when I need something from them they're either available or they get back to me within you know an hour or so so there's some flexibility around that um, and they're delivering and so Again, what we've seen, and we now have the evidence to show that people have been and productivity has gone through the roof for many, many organisations across this grand experiment uh, of working from home across COVID. And so now teams and organisations, hence why they're talking hybrid, is they're saying it worked. It worked in terms of productivity. And so now how do we... Once we've talked about performance, we're really clear on expectations. Um, it's still critical that leaders have performance management conversations if, if people aren't delivering to those. But if we've set that expectation really clearly, then those conversations are easier to have. So now we start to shift in what are we losing around culture and connection and time with people, a sense of belonging, that I'm part of something bigger than my tasks. Uh, and that's really an important conversation for hybrid teams to step into. Great. Let's step into it right now. So let's, uh, for the maybe the sake of this conversation, we say uh, people can be really effective working in a hybrid. They may even be more effective in a, in a hybrid environment uh, because of some of those things you mentioned, Ali, around uh, being out of shape when they are most productive, when are their most productive windows, uh, maybe the micro breaks they can take in, in between things, uh, potentially on occasion, the fact that they don't have to spend, you know, an hour or, or something in traffic or commuting uh, to an to and from the office so uh, let's say that uh, you know because we, we certainly agree we run a hybrid work model ourselves and we think that uh, the blend of the two is the right answer mm -hmm. um, so let's just put the productivity how do I know my people are, are working a bit to bed um, with maybe a uh, comment from me that feel free to add into I, my observation is that part of the responsibility for great delivery in your team sits with the leader, all right? The leader is the person that has to spend the time thinking about what are the deliverables here? How can I be really clear about what I'm looking for? What are the, the outcomes? And I, I feel like maybe historically uh, the office environment allowed, allowed some leaders to be a bit lazy because they could just kind of wait till something came uh, up and then go out and talk about it uh, across the across the desk, right? Whereas now I think they have to be a bit more uh, engaged and pre-planned and, and conscious about it. But that's what good leadership looks like, right? 100%, yeah. 100% agree with you. What I would see in our research and observations, particularly in that shift, that whatever was there in an office environment got amplified the moment we went to... Um, virtual working or remote working really, sure. uh, rather than kind of talking specifically hybrid. So if there was high trust with leaders, if there was a lot of communication, even amongst the uncertainty around, I'm not sure how this is gonna work or the impact, but we'll continue to talk about it, that got amplified. Uh, for those leaders who weren't great at articulating that, who micromanaged their teams, who had a level of distrust, that too got amplified. Uh, so I think what was already there, all of a sudden became, became bigger. Fascinating. 
Okay, let's turn the conversation to the culture piece. Uh, and this is culture as a topic. It's something we talk a lot about on the on the podcast, but it is, uh, in some ways, it feels like a dark art. It's like, you know, when an organization's got great culture, you can also just sense immediately when it's terrible, uh, but helping people and leaders to understand how they can create, you know, uh, positive culture, uh, really interesting topic. So uh, in this hybrid environment, I think it's definitely a, an area that even the great leaders who have high trust levels with their teams are still scared around what if my all this time I've spent building this culture, what if it kind of disappears? So uh, interested in your insights into um, what have you observed with the changes in culture around a hybrid working model? And then what guidance are you giving to leaders out there about how they uh, maintain and build good culture yeah again I mean we could spend four hours looking at this this is it's a huge topic but it's such an important key one and again when I when I talk about great leaders leaders who deeply care about culture this can be one of the true things and one of the key reasons why they they want to gather their team back together again under a co-located space because that importance of culture that they deeply care about people and so it comes from a really great place and a great question and a conversation to sit into I guess partly I'm going to go back a little bit on as you say culture is probably one of those things it's least uh, most discussed least understood topic on the planet in terms of we know it's a really important we know when we've got it good but how do you get it and where, where can you buy it and <laughs> Like, you know, what are the metrics that if I do these, I'm guaranteed of a really great culture? Um, the So if I come back to culture is constantly changing. It's a constant dynamic. It's uh, And there is not a day that you will arrive at as a leader, as an organisation where you can tick it off and say, we've done it. So every day is an investment into the culture that we desire. Um, we've had, I've had the great opportunity to spend some time with a fellow called Michael Henderson. So a fellow, fellow Kiwi yes. um, thought leader who is probably in my mind, one of the, the world's leading experts on culture. He's a corporate anthropologist. So he studies the cultures inside organizations. And he talks about that, um, that there's not good or bad culture. There just is culture just is uh, what it is it's more about is it aligning and does it match what you're trying to achieve uh, or is it trying to counterpoint that is it is it going against that so that's a really useful standpoint for leaders and organizations to think about it's not good or bad it's not a comparison piece it's just does the culture we have align to what we're trying to achieve uh, and what we care about around here? Um, at the beginning of last year, I had the chance to talk to Michael around just this very question of how do we invest in culture if we're not under the same roof, if we don't get the opportunity to have those ad hoc uh, conversations, the, the cup of tea, tea room connections uh, with people what are some of the measures of kind of culture the the artifacts that might be up on the wall or the things that we um, that are important that are that show that we belong and that we're part of of this this thing bigger than us which is essentially what culture is and he talked about coming back to this key question of what do we care about and so crafting a culture 
of belonging is that ultimate question of what do we care about around here? So if in the office, the thing we used to love to do was have a cup of tea together at 11 o'clock, it's the the conversations with each other. It's the chance that we got to talk about our kids. It's the chance that we got to share holiday photos. Um, and it's that that we care about. And so it's almost distilling the actions and the activity down to, well, what is it that we care about? And then you can start to talk about, well, how do we translate that if we're not under the same roof? So how do we craft, you know, three o'clock cup of tea time where you share your kids' photos every Tuesday or twice a week because that's what we care about. That's what's important to our culture and that's what we want to take forward. If there are posters on the wall in the office, what is it about those posters? What do they describe? How, how do they give us an insight into what we care about around here? So if they're safety posters, then we care about people's physical well-being that when they're working, that they're, they're taking care of their own physicality, their own body. And so uh, for me, I love that, that sense of it's not bad or good, that culture's changing anyway. So even if we weren't going through this change in the format or the methodology of work, the culture that we have right now would be different to what it was six months ago anyway. Um, but also this sense that, we need to come back to what do we care about? And then we can start to craft new rhythms, new cultural connections uh, and new things where people start to go, oh, I feel like I belong. This is a place I'm really proud to work. Yeah. Hey, Ellie, I'm wondering if uh, we can explore the invest in your conversations piece because um, when you were providing those uh, in the office versus the hybrid or remote working examples, um, I, I could almost hear some members of the audience going, oh, look, I'm not really that interested in my um, teammates' kids' photos. Yeah, great. Right? And, and that is, uh, we tend to use the uh, neuroscience of teams, business chemistry model um, a fair amount with pioneers, drivers, guardians, and integrators. And in that language, I was going, oh, the integrators, they love to see the kids' photos. They're, you know, they're like, what's going on for you? How's it make you feel? And that's really, really helpful. Um, and the, you know, the polar opposite of the integrator tends to be the driver who's like, come on, people, let's just get stuff done. You know, if we hit our targets, where, where are we going? Is this where, as a leader, you need some awareness of this and you should be using your conversations with individuals and with your team to kind of go um, maybe the three o'clock cuppa with my integrator is a really great idea but maybe I should not be trying to do a one-size-fits-all approach to culture with everyone on my team and maybe I try, try something a little bit different with my um, yeah, driver as an example. Yeah, so what comes to mind for me when I hear you talk about that is, um, you know, what's important to us? What do we care about? What do I value? And so where is that alignment on or having the conversation with the individual? So what's important to you? What's your experience of work? What's uh, that, that you want to get out of it? Um, that level of engagement. And there will be things that even as a team, we value and we care about. And so even if my... I'm not that fussed about worrying about people's kids' photos. Um, I don't have kids. I like could care less. Um, but if it, it's important to the team, if as a team that's what we've decided, and I'm only using that as an example, sure. Sure. Um, <clears throat> but it might be around we're going to celebrate a customer 
and um, and that that's what's really important in our team that we're constantly caring for, supporting, surprising our customer. But personally, my role is tick and flick. Like I'm in, you know, uh, kind of back end IT. And yes, I can see kind of the thread of that, but I just need to tick boxes and what we send our clients, I you know our customers, I, I don't really care. Well, I don't mind. It's not something sure. that I personally am, am mm-hmm. sitting lying away at, at um, night about. But by virtue of the fact that I belong to the team that cares about that, then that's where, again, if we talk about culture is the difference between um, something that's beyond me that, that's a, that has a connection and belonging. The greatest level of engagement in work is when my own values, I can see that in the team's values. It's when there's a, a di- like a diametric <laughs> difference. People will opt for their own personal values over the team ones. Um, but if we, you can see a link, if I, this, and that's where, you know, sense of purpose, a sense of kind of connection, what do we value here as a team um, and constantly having that kind of conversation, what, what do we, what's important to us as a team allows people to go, is that still who I am? Do I still want to opt in? Do I want to still belong as part of this team? So I think it's, it's a really important conversation. I think it's okay to have different um different impacts for different individuals. So if I go back to that example of sharing people's photos, um, then it might be that there's only two or three people in the team that do that on Tuesday afternoon because it's not a team, it's not a team value, but there are people who go, that's important to me. And that's great. And that happened in the office. It'll continue to happen whether you schedule it in or not because people will navigate that themselves. But there may be rhythms that we do dictate that this is an entire team rhythm because as a team, this is what's important to us. This is what we care about. And this is this is that essence that you kind of belong to, uh, which is the cultural piece. Okay. So let's talk about the uh, weight of maybe expectation and responsibility on leaders uh, that are mm-hmm. um, now being tasked with new environments, uh, new ways of operating, new rhythms, new... Uh, demands on them uh, in one of you know, your number one top insight you talked about having uh, support around those leaders and that a framework can be really really helpful can you give us an example of uh, whether it's a framework or there is one framework that works for kind of all situations can you maybe lead us through that a little yeah absolutely um, and I think you're right I think you know leaders across the last 18 months have deeply cared uh, some have pulled some incredible hours uh, to support their their people. They have gone above and beyond. Um, and so it's so important to, you know, for leaders to look after their own energy, to manage um, how they continue to turn up, to have a sense of we'll figure this out even if they don't know the answer. Um, so that's probably just my little side tip and support for leaders is get good night's sleep, really look after yourself because it's so critical in these conversations. Um, but also in amongst that, if you are kind of tired or pulled in a million different directions, having a framework that you come back to to those conversations is really important. The framework that we created when we actually went to our team and said, look, we're going to commit to permanently now becoming a hybrid team um, and these will be the conversations or the the 
the framework that we'll have have conversations through. The foundation of that framework um, is performance. So we've already talked about it. The fundamental it starts with um, in a in the environment of having a job, you get paid by providing value. It's it, it's it, you know comes down to the core of that. So let's talk about what is performance. Um, what does performance look like? How does that work now? How does it work in this environment? Uh, and each role might be adapted a little bit differently, but also how do we then talk about performance cross, across teams, so cross-functionally, that we actually are continuing that, um, those conversations, those relationships and connections. So the foundation of it is performance. And then if we think about it kind of a, a step ladder framework, uh, the next level up is to talk about culture. And again, we've already kind of touched on, on that, but the importance of being able to talk about how do we belong? What are we proud of? What do we care about? How is that evolving in the current landscape? And then the top part of the framework, um, the top of the ladder is autonomy. So that gives a chance to go, not just um, I'll do whatever I want, but how can I work in a way that best suits me? And how can I start to move towards mastery? So it's not just even learning, doing the job, but how, what am I doing to grow, to learn, to become better um, through that sense of kind of autonomy? So the, the framework that we use is that performance, culture and autonomy. And if you think about those if you have just two, but not the third, uh, there can be some really interesting kind of elements at play. So if if you just have performance and um, autonomy, but not culture, if we're not talking about that, then often what can happen is that we move into having contractors rather than team members. They deliver the work, they do it when it suits them, but there's no sense of belonging in this environment. And some teams and some organisations are opening up that conversation with their staff um, and staff are opting and say, I'd rather be a contractor because I'm now seeing a greater flexibility with my family or I don't have to commute um, and my belonging has shifted. And that's okay. There's no right or wrong in that. But at least be aware that if, you know, make sure that you've got a team of team members, not a team of contractors. Um, who don't feel like they belong. If you have, um, talk about culture and autonomy, but not performance. So these are the people who love what you do. They're part of it all. Uh, they've got a sense of autonomy. They're catching up with cups of tea like every 10 minutes, but nothing's getting delivered. I call these the cheerleaders. And that sounds really positive and they're great. They're the biggest cheerleaders. But if you think about a game of basketball, cheerleaders have no impact on the outcome of the game. <laughs> Aside from being on the sidelines going, okay, go on. But ultimately, they're going to be held into question around the impact on performance. Um, and if we have performance and culture, but not autonomy, if we don't have that capability to grow, to stretch, to question, to, um, to put our own fingerprint on things, this almost becomes those conformists. And ultimately, I think they'll be outsourced those kind of roles. So more and more organisations are looking for people to put their own thought leadership to actually grow into the role over time. So that framework, I think having all three of those becomes a really valuable conversation piece. 
That is uh, outstanding. I like that a lot. So Ellie, give us some examples. Where have you seen hybrid working done very well? Um, and you know, maybe your own example, your own organization's example might be a really good one. And then where have you seen it uh, tip over because maybe uh, one or more of those elements of the framework you just described wasn't in place? Yeah, great. Great question. I can definitely start and talk about our own team. As I said, we've, we've um, been on the journey and even the book, the way we wrote the book was, uh, and if people have a look at the chapters, it's a bit like um, Joseph Campbell's uh, um, hero's journey. So you're being called to an adventure. Uh, you've got new skills to learn. You'll fall into the depths of despair going, is it even going to work? You'll be up against some beasts and some challenges around collaboration and support and people feeling disconnected and mental health. And these are some of the challenges that we need to talk about and face. But if I think about it now, it's over 12 months on. Um, our team is incredibly strong. We have a lot of conversations around kind of culture and connections. At the start of June, we recognised and celebrated Pride Month and we actually um, did up T-shirts in our logo in Pride colours and we had probably an hour-long team meeting um, where everyone was able to talk about what Pride meant to them. And there were tears, a lot of tears and a lot of strength and connection um, and pride, a sense of, you know, people feeling really proud of and deeply caring about the people that they get to work alongside. So for me, that was probably one of those kind of measures or metrics um, of, of performance and, and this methodology. Um, and Ellie, was that meeting that you had there, was that done remotely? Yes. Or was that, yeah. Yeah. So, so I just wanted to, to be yeah. kind of clear on that that um, you can have deeply engaging moments yeah. um, in a in a virtual environment as well, right? We're not yeah, saying it's yes. perfect replacement, but it doesn't have to be the uh, vanilla, um, uh, yeah, almost the hospital wall kind of experience of, of uh, an environment. It can be still super engaging and build some really bond bonds in your team if you're having the right discussions you know coming back to you or have the right conversations uh piece yeah no, okay great point yeah based on location now in terms of hybrid our team does get together every two months so the entire team comes together face to face where we can when there's not lockdowns on um and so we really invest in connection and uh and culture on those days and so again when in the conversations and where I've seen it done really well is where teams and organisations, when they are gathering people together, they're making the most out of that. So it's not that they're having people come into the office for two days a week, but those people are sitting in corners doing email where they may as well be at home. Um, so one of the other clients we're working with is an engineering company and they now talk about coming into the office. You know, used about used to talk about off-sites. They now talk about on-sites. So that's Brilliant. when you get together. That's where you come together. And they're very, very strong on don't come into the office to do email. Come in to have those cups of tea. Come in to invest. Come in to challenge each other, to have those really robust conversations, uh, to gather around a whiteboard and, and to do kind of collaboration um, so so there's definitely examples where I've seen that done really well um, some organizations we've connected with where you ask you know seen it none not so well it's probably more that they're navigating how are we going to do it 
and where it hasn't worked or where there's been a, a higher level of um, kind of butting heads is where the fundamental belief about work is different. So still holding on to this belief that the best work and the only way our team can work is if we're all under the same roof. Um, and it's, it's that it's that challenge that then flows on to other behaviours around, well, this isn't good enough or there's a, there's a problem in our team and so we just have to get everyone into the office and, and fix it. And there are times where that might be the answer, but I guess I just challenge people to, if, if that's the very first response because that might be an old behaviour. If my only choice was to do this virtually or if there were a couple of people that we can gather but we need to incorporate other people as well, how might we do that and what's another way to do it? So fundamentally where, it, where there's still massive challenge or a, an inconsistency around how it's going to work is that we're coming from different belief sets. Great. Let me throw a little uh, example at you because uh, it's one that I've had raised a number of times and it's mm. the organization who uh, may have people in the business that they have to be on site so yep. think a manufacturing environment you know all the machinery is here they just they cannot do that role from home it has to be has to be uh, on site so you've got some people by definition of their role they have to be on site and then you might have other people in the organization that are more let's call them knowledge workers which you know may be able to do their work uh, in a more of a hybrid type manner. Uh, what guidance would you give to uh, senior leaders of that kind of organization who are maybe grappling with this? Hey, I'm getting some of our people that in the roles that they can work remotely are kind of going, hey, we'd like to have some kind of hybrid work, but they're feeling a sense of maybe responsibility to their people that don't have that option. What kind of guidance would you give to leaders in that situation? Yeah, look, it's a great question. And, and truthfully, it's, it's a very, very practical reality. Um, there's a number of manufacturing companies that we've been working across um, who have rolled out a work from anywhere or a, a fully flexible approach across their organisation. So probably the number one thing to be really mindful of is the moment we start to talk about us and them or if an us and them mentality comes into the culture, that is something to be incredibly mindful of because uh, that can, that is where some of that kind of silo mentality can come into play. And, and often the unrest can come from a sense of fairness or unfairness. It feels unfair that I have to come in where others um, don't have to. Having said that, that can also be a bit of a, uh, you know, a wash across everything as well. It's, you know, talking to people about what do they value about work. There are plenty of people. And I think even in this conversation, we mostly talked about, I've probably got a bit of a bias to people with family or have kind of commute, but there are plenty of people who love going into the office that it's, it, they are better workers by having people around them. Um, that they they may not be set up at home or they live at home alone. And so that is their separation from, from work and home. So it is also important that, uh, that we can hold space that, that for some people that might serve really, really well. 
The second piece, and certainly the organisation, I'd be interested in your experience, the organisations that have got those kind of manufacturing setups and people that have to come into an office space, is that those people are still asking, well, what does flexibility look like for us? So I totally understand that the only way that I can do my piece of work is by being physically at this machine um, and I can't take this machine home. So I get that. That's not a problem. And... What does flexibility look like if I need to have some time off, if I need to come in a little bit later, if there is um, ways to change rosters or schedules, then that can be a way to talk about flexibility. So it may not be on location, uh, but it probably comes back to that autonomy piece around how can we manage your own energy? How can we invest in you turning up the best you can be and be cared for and valued regardless of location. Yep, spot on. And we saw a really good example of this in a manufacturing organisation. They were having what they perceived to be a bit of a performance issue with one of their team members constantly turning up late. They immediately decided that that was a lack of care in the work and they didn't really want to be part of the organisation, et cetera. When they actually sat down with that person and had a conversation, actually what they found out was that person's partner was uh, not well. So he had to be responsible for getting the kids to school. So his mornings were frantic trying to, you know, care for his partner, get the kids sorted, do the lunches, drop them off at school, do all that kind of stuff. And he was just constantly hitting uh, a mm. late zone at work. Once they found that out, they identified what was kind of, they said, well, would it work for you uh, if you were to start like, we'll just make your start time kind of like half an hour later. And then you can decide whether you want to work a bit longer at the end of the day, or maybe do one longer day during the, to make that up or, you know, whatever it requires to make your contribution, would that be helpful? And he was like, wow, this is exactly, this would just make such a change to my life because I'm, you know, my day just gets off to a disaster every, every day, because I always feel like I'm running late. I feel like I'm letting you down. I'm never in a good space when I get to work. Uh, having built that level of flexibility into uh, his workday, you know, back to being a star performer, quality of the work was great, was coming back in a much better uh, headspace and energy into the, into the business. So, you know, it would be very easy for us to apply your framework to that. Mm. You know, was the, what was the performance required? Could that person still do their job? Um, what did the culture look like for that, for that person? And can we give them some autonomy to yeah. uh, actually deliver on their, their role and, 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 and trust them? And so that was a really good example of um, what we'd seen play out and just what you described. Yeah, great story. I love that. Okay. Hello, Ellie. Our conversation today has been, been fascinating. I love how you think about uh, the hybrid working. My observation is that many business owners are a little bit afraid of, of hybrid, uh, probably some of those old school fears. Uh, I think you've given some really practical insight into how people can think about it, how they can be successful, The just the proof points that we see time and time again, that it can lead to better outcomes for your organization, not, not lesser, lesser ones. Uh, if our listeners want to dig into this more with you, um, how can they go about doing that? And certainly particularly interested to know where we can get a copy of the book. Oh, of course. Um, I'd love to kind of 
continue to dive into these conversations. And even if teams are going back to office spaces, I think the invitation to be able to have more of these conversations about flexibility is now one of those tools required for leaders into the future. In fact, I can see it in recruitment. I haven't seen it yet, but I'm predicting it'll come into recruitment conversations and questions. How, how have you led hybrid teams and how successful have you been? And so it's an investment in your future career, if nothing else. Um, in terms of uh, how they can get in touch, so Pragmatic Thinking is our business. So pragmaticthinking.com um, is where we live in the World Wide Web, uh, probably most active on LinkedIn. So myself um, is, I think it's from Alison Hill uh, on LinkedIn or find Pragmatic Thinking on LinkedIn. The book can be found in all good bookstores. So uh, some bad ones as well. <laughs> so anywhere online. So it's called Work From Anywhere. We also have a store on our website. So again, pragmaticthinking.com. Um, you can purchase it direct through our website or, or wherever you purchase books. It's, it is available um, on audio and Kindle as well. So even for those odd people that read things electronically, they can still get a copy. <laughs> I love them too. You do do some do some virtual <laughs> virtual highlighting and uh, yeah, virtual bookmarking. Love it. Um, brilliant. And Alison, we'll put all of those links in our show notes in the podcast, so people can find all those links uh, very easily. Um, thanks again for sharing your expertise and insights with us today. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Um, keep doing great work out there in the world. Thank you. Thanks, Ryan. I've, I've enjoyed our chat too.